welcome to A Command of Her Own, a Star Trek podcast. I'm your host, Caitlin. And I'm your host, Jen. This week, we're discussing the premiere episode of Star Trek Voyager, Caretaker. And we have with us a special guest, Matthew Vose, who is a podcaster on the Eloquent Gushing Network of Podcasts, where he hosts Pop Culturally Deprived, Across the Arrowverse, and Matthew's Movie Mentions. So welcome, Matthew. Hi. <laughs> it's me, and I'm excited to be here. I get to talk Voyager. <laughs> Someone asked me to talk about Star Trek. If this doesn't happen, I'm very excited. <laughs> you guys have a Star Trek episode coming up, don't you? Uh, yeah, end of July, I think. We've got Star Trek The Motion Picture. Um, we're, of course, like, working backwards because uh, Jen came and recorded Wrath of Khan with us because we mm-hmm. skipped the motion picture for reasons. But my co-host Mandy is such a completionist, she wanted to watch it. Uh, so we've gone back and done the motion picture and then we'll start through the good ones after that. All right. I'm also really glad you can be here, Matthew, because Voyager is the Star Trek that I am least well versed in. Okay. I don't even think I've seen all the episodes. So I've, I know you're the expert. (laughs) That's your whole position on the show. If you don't have that. What do but you, you know have? <laughs> I finished watching the the premiere caretaker, and then I've just kept watching more episodes. So this may be the next show that I, I binge watch through. Oh, interesting. I look forward to hearing what you say. Voyager <laughs> is my Star Trek. Mm-hmm. But I did feel really bad when I was like, hey, can I come and talk Voyager? Because I know obviously part of the point of this is it's a slightly feminist take on Star Trek and looking how it treats women as well as just the overall plots. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's good. I have a reason to be here because I like Voyager a lot. Mm -hmm. Like you, DS9 is my favorite. Okay. DS9 is the best. It it is really good. Although Mm. I've heard so many um, compelling points that Voyager brings up. And so I do want to go in and watch it and sort of really take a look at it. And it also has that fun episodic nature to it. Hmm. Um, so yeah, I'm interested to watch more of it. So yeah, so to position this in sort of like Star Trek when everything was coming out, uh, this began airing in 1994, It's which started the year after The Next Generation ended, and then Deep Space Nine had already started, and Deep Space Nine and Voyager overlapped until 1999 when Deep Space Nine also ended. So it's running concurrent in that timeline um, of when the shows aired. And then they had crossovers. So obviously they were all in the same sort of like era as well. They have crossovers with Deep Space Nine? Well, the very beginning, they started at Quark's Oh, okay. Bar. I thought you were saying that there was further crossovers and i was like no 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 just to like... understand from these episodes that the whole plot <laughs> anyway no. well yeah that's not what i meant yes okay. they they're I just meant they're all in the same era gotcha. in show in universe it's not like although yes there are crossovers eventually yes <laughs> so they okay whatever carry on <laughs> <laughs> But this is this is exactly why it is my Star Trek because that year, well, nineteen ninety three, I can remember my mum bought me Star Trek six on video on VHS, oh. and that that's like one of the things that made me go, okay, I'm in Star Trek now. 
Like I already liked it and watched it and had seen the films and stuff, but that was me going, oh, I own stuff. Okay, I'm going to be a Trekkie. Um, <laughs> so then the year after, 94, 95 is probably the best Star Trek has ever been because you have mm. the end of TNG and you have All Good Things, which is this amazing series finale. You have DS9 suddenly becoming uh, much more serialized and with some really good plots going on. And then you have a new series starting as well. Uh, so this was the series that started after I really got into it, when I was you know, able to go and read everything. One of my friends had the poster of the crew up before it started that even had the Doctor's name, when the Doctor was going to be named at one point. Oh. Like that's, we were, we were binging everything we could in the build up to this, just to find out as much as we could. And then it's the series that I got to watch as it aired. I, I, I've never watched it from the perspective of going back to it and having, you know, known how the ending goes. Mm-hmm. Whereas like DS9 was a complete thing when I came to it because I never really watched it because it had already started. Oh, okay. See, for me, the timing was a little bit awkward just because of like, when Deep Space Nine ended 1999, I was just starting to get into university. And then in those later years of university, I basically watched no TV. Mm. Um, so that's where I started to get a lot of gaps in with the last bit of Voyager. Because um, I watched some of the stuff up until um, Seven of Nine was added to the cast and things like that. Okay. But it gets really patchy. And, and I didn't. I don't think I caught every episode or if I... But it's hard for me to remember as well because it was a little more episodic. So as I rewatch, I might remember more than I realize. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. 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 Um, now, we do have some announcements related to this Star Trek Discovery. The show that we're actually about. Yes. It, can, it gets well, a little there's lost. One, there's, one show, there's one announcement that's just related to Star Trek. Um, I saw an article that there is a line of retro toys being released and some of the toys they're releasing are Star Trek related. Now their original series, Star Trek, um, they are going to release the image that was released was of Sulu, but on the box that Sulu comes in, there was an image of the Romulan commander and the Gorn. So the expectation is that those will be the other two figures. And they're going to be a limited run. They're going to start off on sale at San Diego Comic-Con and then be exclusively available at Target, which also made me sad because Canada does not have Target anymore. Jenny lived 10 minutes from the border. (laughs) Yes, that's true. And like a further 10 minutes from the closest Target. Through the border is... (laughs) Sometimes not 10 minutes. That's um, fair. But the other reason this makes me really happy is because Star Trek has not had the best merchandising in the past. And I hope that this is successful and encourages better merchandising and more merchandising in general in the future. Because all the big major franchises now, it's part and parcel merchandising and bigger numbers, bigger audiences, things like that. So that's why I was really excited to see this and i may want a gorn i don't know we'll see <laughs> i feel like you do need it it's it's part of your your trek history i know it was like so formative to my mm-hmm. history anyways uh discovery was also nominated for just two emmys uh one for outstanding prosthetic makeup in will you take my hand 
and one for outstanding sound editing for a comedy or drama in What's Past is Prologue. And then, most excitingly, a few images have been released from season two. Um, Kate, did you see any of these yeah, on social I saw media? Them. Yep. You did? Okay. Um, I read the news article, Jen. I understand we do a podcast about this. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, a couple were of Michael Burnham in what is clearly the Enterprise. Uh, and I have to say, it looks better than I thought it might. Um, so we'll see how it looks on actual moving film, but it wasn't horrible, I thought. The, uh, the article I read mentioned that she was standing outside of a famous numbered room. Oh. Okay. Or, I don't know, I do not know this information, but the article said that the room number or whatever was recognizably belonging to a certain... Mm-hmm. Space elf. Uh, well, space yes, elf. Spock's quarters in theory. Yeah, and I thought that would make you over the ma- over the hill with just just joy and good feelings, Jen. <laughs> yeah, I'd say maybe they'll just do the like never quite in the same place at the same time. Like maybe she just goes outside his room and then turns away and like never had like leaves us always wanting that moment of meeting but never having it but <laughs> i don't think they're gonna do that i have so much respect for your deniability that I, you have yeah. the way that you can just it might still be good it might still be what i want i i really respect that about you jen <laughs> okay that i can just like steep myself and dig myself in deep with my denial yeah i like it I don't think that's what they're going to do. I think they're we're going to meet Spock and there's going to be family drama because they've said season two will be more about family issues. Mm. And since, you know, Burnham's the only person we've seen family of. The other cool thing is that there's a new alien and uh, it's going to be a Saurian science officer named Linus. And the Saurians first appeared in Star Trek The Motion Picture. Yay. Well, is that one of the characters they're trying to set up as like, see, we're like Star Wars. We've got diverse aliens. Here's one. <laughs> Quite possibly. He I has more just... than just a funny forehead. He's <laughs> got giant eyes. Um, I don't think the Saurians are even featured prominently in the motion picture. I think they're mostly just background. But I'm just glad that it isn't something like one of the major alien species. It's like getting to see something that hasn't been discovered in a movie or a, a show or mm. not discovered is not the right word, but seeing a species that hasn't been showcased yet. I think that'll be interesting. Be nice to see some brand new aliens. I think I don't disagree. It's just really hard to do when you're going into prequel territory. Mm. I mean, they could get the ship out of Federation space, but yeah, I understand. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and that's I think that's all the news I had this week. That's all I remember. I remember or mm-hmm. a lot of the people I follow on Twitter were rather upset that Sneakwood did not get an Emmy nomination because she was very, very good. I tend to agree, but I also know that, you know, Emmys and Oscars don't like sci-fi. Yeah, that's true. Because they're stuck up. Mm-hmm. I think 
Tatiana Maslany got nominated again this year, which is something. That's true, okay. but I mean, she still hasn't ever won, which is ridiculous. Um, you- and I'm I'm surprised that Michelle Yeoh didn't get nominated as like guest or supporting or something, because they do like celebrating movie people. Yeah, I could have sworn I remembered she did, or maybe, maybe I'm thinking of the other award. There's too many awards. <laughs> I this is true. And I don't typically pay attention to the awards because I watch so little TV and movies. It's always like, who's that? What show are they in? What? Huh? And then like one person I know. So, and they have famously snubbed a lot of genre films and TV over the years. So, yeah. Although this year it's all Game of Thrones, Handmaid's Tale, Westworld. It's like they're finally catching up. Yeah, right. <laughs> but still only like, I don't know. I, I think Game of Thrones in particular of those has sort of breaking through being like a considered in the eye of the audience, like a genre mm-hmm. show. Because I know people who would never watch a fantasy television show who watch Game of Thrones. Hmm. True, it has gotten fairly mainstream. And they will argue with you that it is actually just a political thriller type of show happening in you know what i mean if it gets them to watch (laughs) yeah so i don't know maybe i'm misremembering about michelle or like smooshing awards in my mind i do Ah, tend to smoosh things and and tatiana maslani she did win not last year year before oh she did win i thought she'd had one yeah but i wasn't sure like i'm even surprised she got nominated this time so i thought we were too far out from or from black finishing yeah, I don't know how that works. Because mm. I thought we were too far out from the last season of Game of Thrones, too, because there wasn't one this year. Yeah, it's true. What do I know? Hmm, who knows? All right, shall we get into the Voyager here? Yes. Yes, let's, let's jump into it. So now, Kate, tell us what you thought of the episode. Of all the premieres we've watched, this was my favorite. Yay. The Yay. <laughs> most likely I have to to carry on to you know, want to watch more. And that was mostly due to Janeway and Paris. I really liked them. And I thought I was going to hate Paris during his first scene because he was such a stuck up. Ugh. But then I, I really liked him when he got a little bit more self-deprecating than stuck up. And he was he was kind of funny. And yeah, sorry. Yeah, I think other than Janeway, he possibly has the most to do in this episode. He gets the most kind of backstory and interesting moments uh, and set up for the future, Mm -hmm. which may or may not come to fruition or anything, but he at least gets it in the pilot. Great. Premier, sorry, premier. (laughs) I keep calling it the pilot. It's not a pilot. They clearly had a full season. (laughs) (laughs) I kept going back and forth when I was like typing things about it too. I was like... Pilot, pilot? Is it no? Is it not a pilot? It was just a premiere. Yeah. Okay. I mean, <laughs> I do think for. the words have become interchangeable now. Not that they were hmm. necessarily intended to be, but oh yeah. Um, I was surprised how much I liked uh, Tom Paris on this watch through. Uh, just because I, from the first watch through, I don't like when it originally aired. I don't remember being taken with his character much Mm -hmm. so i was pleasantly surprised this time around because i enjoyed his character a lot too 
I guess one of the things I liked about him was when he was brought on crew, he felt a lot like how Burnham feels um, at the beginning of Discovery. Mm. Because everybody knows that he has done something bad in the past and he's just there as a consultant. Yeah, the reaction right. of the, the first officer and the doctor mm-hmm. is quite extreme. Yeah, exactly. So perhaps I just felt a little bit of, you know, I really like Burnham. So I assumed I would really like this this dude who everybody is hating on. Do you, do you think in the episode he kind of fulfills any of that? Because I think the first half he gets lots to do and lots of like discovering his past and talking to Harry and then caring a bit about Harry. When we actually get into that sort of second half that's all action, does he step up? Is it good? Is it just like, oh, yes, he's mentioned he's the pilot. So yes, he's the pilot. They gave him sort of that one payoff moment where he rescues his friend, ex-friend, whatever, dude. Chakotay? Sure. Mm, yeah. Um, and they have like a little conversation when they do that. Mm-hmm. And I, I liked that. But other than that, in the second episode, he didn't get much, which I was kind of sad about. But I, I thought Janeway got a lot more in the second episode, and I do really like Janeway, so I wasn't that upset about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so let's talk Kate Mulgrew, uh, who plays Janeway, mm-hmm. because she's wonderful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she just You really get the sense that she got this character as soon as she came on, and all the way through gets lots to do, but she's just carrying it as the captain and then doing soft moments, then doing a bit of comedy and then at the end doing her great monologue moment. Yeah, she was great. She really felt like she was like a fully fleshed person there as opposed to just like figuring out her character. Mm. Like, yeah, she totally had it. And um, on Twitter this morning, this is a good place to bring it up because it was on Twitter at triple three fourteen Jacob Sanders. Um, He was mentioning... Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Because uh, he had brought up that it was on its feet, the fastest of all the series. And the actors and writers were all on the same page, which was impressive in Kate Mulgrew's case. And I was sort of asking him, like, why he thought it was particularly impressive in her case. And he said that the original actress apparently quit after a couple of days of shooting. So Mulgrew had to establish herself in the role really fast. Hmm. And then... And then he also mentions they reshot her scenes. And then I was also reading on IMDb uh, yesterday that the hairstyle budget pushed up the costs more than the special effects. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because even the, the, the original scenes they shot with Mulgrew, they didn't like her hairstyle. Yeah, it went so transparent. They, resh- <laughs> they reshot everything again with a different hairstyle for her. And that probably also helps how she comes through because when you get to play every like all your scenes out and then you get to do them all again yeah, yeah she got to fix uh, all her mistakes that she may have been thinking about yeah mm. yes yeah, so but the, I, cool. I was gonna say i still think she's an excellent actress and i still think that uh the quality of her performance really elevated it so yeah, the, the whole story of her getting the part, it, it goes back to the very first um, casting call they did. She was uh, on holiday and then came back from holiday and then went to audition for it and had fallen in love during the holiday, the first true love she'd ever known in her life. She was away with her family, falls in love with this guy, comes back and goes and gives this audition that is terrible. 
and and she talks about how um, during the audition she knows it's terrible, so she turns to the camera and says, "I'm sorry, I know this is terrible. I know this is the worst work you've ever watched, but I've fallen in love." <laughs> and does this whole thing and then leaves, and they don't consider her for the part because her audition was terrible, um, and they consider. Uh, then this actress Genevieve Bujol comes on who had won awards and is a, apparently a famous f- French movie actress who um, got the role but they were really worried about her fragility not having worked in TV before so they did all this stuff like it's really hard it's 18 hour days it's learning scripts really quickly it's just all, all the intensity of it and she said no it's fine I'll be able to do it and they start filming like on the 7th of September then on the 9th of September she decides it's too much and quits so they then have a second round. They call some of their favourites back and, and Kate Mulgrew gets back in somehow. I don't know whether her agent is just particularly good. And apparently she blows them away. And and from like both reports on both sides, she did very, very well there. And it's really hard because the lady who was sort of second, the runner-up to Genevieve Bujold, was then runner-up to Kate Mulgrew and had been on Star Trek before in Next Gen. And apparently ended up running up to Jerry Ryan when she comes on as seven of, of nine. Oh, <laughs> I feel ouch. so bad for her. Oh. Um, but yeah, so she gets cast and she finds out through a voice message that she doesn't hear for like 12 hours or something. So she doesn't even know she's got the part. She hears on a Friday, starts filming on the Monday and is into hairstyles and costuming and all of this and just straight onto the bridge. And between that time, they tried to film without an actress but they started running out of anything they could film without her on set. <laughs> so, so end up shutting it up. And then, like, they talk about it like, it's really good. You know, she, at least she figured out within two days, if she figured out after six months, it would have been such a problem. Like, yeah, right, but also. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, and what with the concept of the story, like, if you have a show like Deep Space Nine and the actress figures out in six months, okay, you can rewrite somebody transferring or somebody mm-hmm. getting, you know, like, but with the concept of the show, where by the end of it, you're like, no, no, we're in a galaxy far, far away. If the captain then decides, <laughs> like, no, I quit, then it's like, okay, uh, now we have to really reconfigure things. Chakotay's captain. We regenerate her into a different um, actress. <laughs> we take, yeah. Like, you guys just read hmm. Star, Tri- uh, Star Wars and Doctor Who. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. In reference to working out Voyager. Yeah. I mean, they would just kill her off. That's what would happen. Yeah, blatantly. Yeah, yeah. And, and that I, would have I, been the women can't be in charge; they're too emotional. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The rest yeah. of the crew is basically male, so they definitely would have had to kill her off and replace her with a guy, which would have sucked. Yeah, yeah. Matthew, when it came out, do you remember the backlash over there being a female captain? I I don't. I think. Um, you know, in the UK, we're more liberal. So we're fine with things like that. We like women leaders. So, hey. No, um, I think I was just too young to really appreciate it as well. Right. It was just like, oh, great, female captain. This will be really interesting. And and I think particularly the conversation was, it'd be really interesting to see, is she a Kirk-type captain? Is she a Picard-type captain? And arguably, she's a mix of the two. So, and yeah. I don't know how things like that got around pre-internet. Like, I'm sure they did. I just don't know how. Oh, I imagine there was a Trek bulletin board in you know, 1980 and then 1995. and I guess there was internet then. Yeah. 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 I just. There are also zines or zines, actual paper 
amateur subscription. Mm. Yeah. So uh, were you aware? Is this a thing? I can't remember if I was aware of it at the time or if I have since read about it. Right. Mm. Like, because I have read now about it having some, you know, naysayers and doubters and haters at the time. So I'm I'm not sure if I'm inferring something into my memory because I've read about it or if I was actually aware about it at the time. It's kind of a blur, but. And it, it was clearly it was something they were worried about having someone that they could feel was in charge without being in inverted commas bossy, um, but also not being like Kirk. She couldn't be going sleeping around. That's not how women are portrayed on TV. So you're not allowed to do that thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm saying that in inverted commas. Like, clearly, I don't think that, just in case we don't at me over. Um, <laughs> but, but Kate Mulgrew absolutely invited, brings that. I think everybody knows we wouldn't, we wouldn't invite an asshole onto our show, so it's fine. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not that nice sometimes. Um, but no, Kate Mulgrew absolutely brings that. She absolutely owns the whole thing. And um, Genevieve Bajol, they they released some of her scenes or at least one of her scenes on the dvd which is on youtube and you can see that she's considered every line how am i going to say every word what emotion am i going to be portraying how am i going to be so it comes across as a bit flat because you just need her to be in charge and giving orders but she's trying to wring everything out of it and you think you do not have time to do this Mm-hmm. And Kate Kate Mulgrew tells a story about um, that I've seen on probably more than one thing um, about she's seen some of her dailies and it's her like going around sort of floating around the Enterprise uh, uh, around Voyager talking to people and then sitting down and going engage, <laughs> which <laughs> I'm not sure whether that's true or not, but it makes a good story. <laughs> uh, she actually has a, a memoir that she's written. That mm. I would really love to read. I've heard some very good things about it. Which one? And Kate Kate Mulgrew's memoir. Oh. I don't. Has she written multiple? No, no. I wasn't sure if it was which actress. Oh, sorry. okay. Um, yeah. It is very, very good. It is not much about Star Trek. Hmm. <laughs> and and she is a proper thespian telling the great story and all the events of her life and she remembers the things she did and with perfect clarity all those years later (laughs) of course don't we all i don't think i've ever actually seen or heard of her other than this role so i don't know what else she's done she's done mrs columbo which i have not seen (laughs) but uh, it's the one that always comes (laughs) comes up I have seen her in one other role, and it is in a movie that is, it goes by multiple titles. So it's The Adventures of Remo Williams, or like uh, The Continuing Adventures of Remo Williams, or something like that. Remo Williams, The Adventure Begins. There you go. I'm on her Wikipedia page. Have, have either of you seen that movie? I'm, no. I guess no. I, I haven't seen that. She is one of the main characters in Orange is the New Black. I did just see that too, yeah. Oh, I did watch that show too and I completely forgot that. And she is phenomenal in that. She is the best thing in it. I have never watched uh, Orange is the New Black. Mm, it's good. Nope, she was in an episode of Murder, She Wrote. I would have seen that. <laughs> no memory of it. But. I, I think if you're in an episode of Star Trek, you're in either Murder, She Wrote or Columbo. <laughs> She's <laughs> sort of like, both. Mm. 
Potentially also Matlock, because I know that not a visitor was in Matlock. Oh, really? oh my god, she's the coolest ever. <laughs> she did a voice in Gargoyles. I love her now. Not that I didn't before, but... <laughs> Again, if you've been in Star Trek, you've been in Gargoyles. <laughs> yes. All right. Apparently she's... Okay, sorry. I can get lost in this. Okay. <laughs> so yes, she is wonderful. She is the, the draw to the show, I think. Um... Uh, as the show evolves, they have to change it and some of the actors, the, the characters change, but she's the one who's really consistent and gets a lot to do all the way through. Yeah, I think she is most of the reason why I, I would be interested in watching more Voyager. I think when it originally aired, I didn't connect with her as much as I am now, but... Yeah, why? I'm... Racking my brain trying to figure it out because it has all of the, like, watching the pilot and everything, I was like, this is playing like a Star Trek The Next Generation episode. And I was like, why am I, was I not, you know, as into this and as excited about it as I was about Star Trek The Next Generation or Deep Space Nine? And I'm, yet yeah, I'm not sure. Maybe it was just your internalized misogyny. Uh, that could be. And, well, uh, so if that is one of the... No, not that, but if, if having a, a good ensemble and diverse cast is something that you might go to a TV show for, uh, Caitlin, as you just said, there aren't other women in this. I mean, there are, but we didn't get to see them in the premiere. We got to see a bit of, um, what's-her-face, the half-Klingon. I don't know anybody's Belana? name. Mm. Sure. Belana Torres. But other than that... Yeah, we got to see a bit of her. We're introduced to Kess. That's it. Is and she the one who came from the planet? Yeah, She's you remember Kess? Yeah. She had two lines. Hmm. <laughs> and and her story is all Neelix's story. Yeah. I uh, think her Neelix. story gets a little better later on, but... It, it does. Some of the peak episodes are, are her, but at, at this point, it is just... She's convincing him to help them. Then she's staying because he's staying. Yeah, when they were convincing Janeway to let them stay, it was all how Neelix could help. Mm. And she would yeah. just sort of be there too. Yeah. So the the rest of the ensemble, was there anyone else other than Paris and Janeway? So I have a note here in my, in my book that I've been staring <laughs> at, cool. trying to work out what I meant. <laughs> When I wrote this down. So what I'm reading here is Harry equals Harry Potter. And then I put cheese friends. And I was like, cheese friends? What in the heck did I mean by that? What? So I actually just wrote it very messy and it says choose. But I've been staring at cheese for like 10 minutes now trying to write that out. Uh, trying to work it out. But there's that whole bit where somebody's like, don't be friends with him. And he's like, I can choose my own friends. Thank you. And it's basically just exactly that scene at the beginning <laughs> of Harry Potter. And I thought that was funny. Oh, yeah. Okay. I also actually thought he was one of the very few times I have seen somebody encounter a fire in a TV show and get an extinguisher and put the fire out. And I was like, good going, Harry. Wait if he <laughs> have a level mind in a crisis. Yeah. I, I love 
I mean, his introduction is quite good with Quark mm-hmm. um, and, and tells you a lot about him. But then the bit with Janeway, where he's just stood at attention, <laughs> a line of at ease before you strain something. Yeah. <laughs> in in They did a novelization of this. I'm sure there's a line of like, if anything, he got more tense. <laughs> <laughs> and then she says not to call him, call her... <laughs> Sir or ma'am. Yeah. <laughs> and his very next line is, yes, ma'am. It's like, oh. <laughs> yeah, and she delivers that very well. She's chiding him and teasing mm-hmm. him, but she's not telling him off and she's not being annoying with it. And she also wasn't, mm. like, giving up her, her position. Mm. You know, like, she was still definitely his superior, but she was still like, calm down, dude, it's fine. Yeah, she wasn't like, treat me like a friend. I want to, you know... It was just like, this is how I prefer to be addressed, and you really need to unclench something before <laughs> yeah. yeah, things get hurt. On my first watch through, I liked Harry a lot more. I, I liked Harry but, in the first episode. Once he's captured, he becomes kind of useless. Yeah. I, I was very much more into beta males at the time, I think, is why I was drawn to his character. Yeah, he and Balana... Once they're in that situation, do not get to do anything. Um, yeah. No. And, well, and it, it seems to take them forever to climb the tower, and then the other crew gets there, and they're just like, do, 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 do. And I'm like, <laughs> really? They, seems like they were at that forever. And like, well, they're sick because that gooey thing tried to have sex with them. Right. So it took them a long time to get <laughs> up those stairs. And that's like. It makes it so obvious when this came out because that whole sequence is, oh, this show wants to be the X-Files. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right. (laughs) I never even thought of that, but now that you pointed out, you are very right. Um, It doesn't really tell us how they got cured, so I'm assuming the doctor figures something out. I loved the doctor. He was fabulous. And that segues us to the Doctor. Yes. Oh my god, he was so great. I'm like, yes, please just stand around being sarcastic more. I like it. Or not sarcastic, but he very dry, I suppose. Yes. And he does. Yeah, he was great. Like, um, he's, yeah, always been great. I've always enjoyed his performance. Mm. And I liked, I think the writers did a really good job trying to figure out what a computer program like that would do in that circumstance. Like, you know, this is how he's programmed. And then he has to, like, just follow this these parameters. He can't adapt yet because he was designed for a very specific circumstance. So I love how his lines always reflect that. Like, mm. you know, he's meant to be turned on and off. Can you please remember to turn me off? I Like... <laughs> I still, like... Um... But I, or I mean, he delivers the lines, but still somehow has believable eye rolls, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when, when the dude gives him, like, the wrong piece of equipment, and he's like, no, a medical one. <laughs> <laughs> you can hear the, you idiot. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's so well done, it almost feels ad-libbed. Yeah. I will say, though, uh, my first, my only note about him here is how, what? Is he not a hologram? How is he touching things? That I don't understand, but I guess it's future science magic. Oh, holograms are solid. Yeah, sure. 
<laughs> Why well, not? Well, like in... It's hard like. Okay. It is. <laughs> it's consistent within Star Trek technology. Mm. Oh. Do that way. Because okay. in, in Farpoint, when they go on to the holodeck, mm-hmm. like, he's climbed a tree that's not there. Oh, that's fair. Yeah. Right? Like... Yeah. So that's all consistent. I don't know how it works, but science can get on that any day now. <laughs> I don't know. But the doctor, I was particularly surprised how little he got for for such an interesting mm-hmm. concept. And you think how much uh, data gets in that first episode of Next Generation? Mm-hmm. The doctor gets very little here. So whether they were just mm-hmm. sort of you know keeping their powder dry for a future episode. Mm-hmm. I did write down Magic Holo Doc is my fave. <laughs> Magic Holo Doc. <laughs> yep. So he was fun. I also. I really enjoyed how the first officer literally jumped into the blast when Janeway yelled, brace yourself, and he was just like, <laughs> like arms up in the air, diving right into it. And then he was dead. And I was like, dude, you did the opposite of brace yourself. <laughs> uh, okay. Good. Actually, a question for a first time watcher. Mm-hmm. Um, some people survive the trip to the Delta Quadrant, some people don't. Did you know who did and who didn't? Did their names not being in the credits make any difference to you? No. Okay. I don't pay attention to credits. <laughs> the first time it came you, up, I was looking for an easy way to skip it, but it, it didn't give me one on my phone. <laughs> did you at least like listen to the credit sequence? Well, and I, watch I was the forced of the to. Ship? Okay. <laughs> Did you enjoy the song? Did you? I didn't feel one way or the other about it. Okay. I did notice as the ship is pulling away from the space station for the first time, it turns on a light mm-hmm. to light up its name on the outside okay. of the ship <laughs> in yep. the middle of yeah. space. In case anyone's looking out a window. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I just think... What a weird random thing to spend the Federation's money on. Goes back from the days when they had telescopes on every starship. (laughs) Very true. (laughs) Right, of course. That that is one of the Star Trek shots, though, isn't it? The top of the ship getting all lit up and pretty. I guess there's just ways to put the light on it without actually turning on a light bulb. (laughs) Which is what happened here. Do you think there's some guy inside like, so what does this one do? What does this one do? You know when you get those panels with three switches and you're not sure. Or like he rigged it up himself just to make the ship look cool. He he soups up the ship in his spare time. You can't really do underglow to the ship because it's three-dimensional space, right? You have to just work with the simple balls. Simple yeah. Can we get a smaller ship, like, hovering and with a floodlight? And... <laughs> Just follows them around like a Like, like a one spotlight. of those fish with the... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. I, I, when I watch Netflix and stuff, I tend to leave the subtitles on. And at the beginning, it comes yeah. up with, like, majestic uh, music plays. Oh, does it? Majestic. I get. I mean, I guess they're hiring somebody to do that. But can you imagine being the person who, 
like let's say you work for Star Trek or something, and you're like, yeah, this is majestic. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's <laughs> it probably just got seems a really very arrogant. Good yeah. Yeah. <laughs> The, the subtitles that I got, because I watched it through Crave TV, they changed dialogue on these subtitles. Hmm. Like, they actually reworded some things, um, like, mostly just, like, moving adverbs and things to make it more concise to, right. from what exactly they said. <laughs> and it was kind of driving me insane. I'm like, that's not what they're saying. That's actually not the words coming out of their mouth. <laughs> and I get what you're doing, but... It was, yeah, interesting. I have no idea how that works, if they're, like, transcribing the episode or if they're given the script. I don't know. I'm pretty sure that it's done by a particular different services. Mm. Mm-hmm. So uh, it depends partly on the service, what, they, what they're doing, what method they use. Yeah. Netflix are very good because they move the subtitles around if there's text on screen. Oh, that is so nice. It doesn't, blur, oh, that it, w- it doesn't cover that up. Um, and it even changes, like it sometimes says who's saying it if they're not on screen. Um, and then oh. it changes, like it goes, it's all caps, I think, most of the time. But then it goes to not all caps if it's like someone speaking over the comm. So you, you get the okay. thing of like, okay, they're not actually in shot. And that's, it's something slightly different. Mm-hmm. But we were we were halfway That's through cool. all the characters, I think. Um, is, is there yeah, any, I know. <laughs> yeah, is there anyone else that, that evoked a response from you? Um, I have no idea what they were actually calling uh, the security officer that they were trying to rescue, but I'm pretty sure his name was Tupac. <laughs> no. <laughs> like, that's what I heard every Cl- time. <laughs> and I was like, he's the only black character here. I think this is, <laughs> I think this is pretty bad. <laughs> His name was Tuvok with a V. Oh, such a <laughs> distinction. <laughs> My name is Tuvok. <laughs> um, yeah. He's great. I, I like the relationship with him and Janeway. It comes across in there like one mm-hmm. scene together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's a lot of it is informed by her talking about him elsewhere and saying, we're going after my crew member. And that's the particular reason she's doing it. Yeah. And I liked all of his scenes with Neelix. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, I liked Neelix. the way he... I, I liked the way he acted them. I don't like Neelix at all. But okay. I liked the way that he was still very Vulcan about it. But you could see that he was just like, oh my god, get this guy away from me. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Vulcans aren't supposed to lie. But he tells him it won't make him a uniform. So I head cannon is like no, it won't make a uniform because it only makes them for enlisted people. You you have to actually have the authority to request a uniform. <laughs> yeah. So it won't, which which makes sense to have some safety parameters because if you could just walk up to a replicator and get literally anything, that could be very dangerous. Mm. I that's what I figured uh, they meant when he said that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Neelix. Yeah. <laughs> So he comes on board, uh, he, gets this guy's name wrong. So we're supposed to laugh at him and go, oh, look at the funny, you know, non, non-federation non person. And then he hugs him. Do we think he hugs people at the beginning of every, like, barter session? I don't know. It was very strange. Yeah. Although, when 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 it's made clear what he was actually after, maybe he was just excited to finally be going forward with a plan. 
Yes, a plan. That's what we'll call it. <laughs> sure, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he spent a lot of time in the bath for someone who's worried about Kiss. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if it's not clear, I don't really like Neelix. <laughs> I think his character is one of the weakest at the at the outset anyways. I think he gets better as time goes on. But yeah, here it was like, is he trying, like, like you said, he's spending all this time in the bath. And yes, I understand, you know, he's never seen water, but, uh, or that much water, like water's a scarce commodity there. But I'm, I still just think he's written as a joke and a gimmick and mm. sort of, you know, we need the this to happen in the plot. Yeah. So f- this is the character where we're, you know, connecting these two bits, and it felt like he oh, was we'll make him awkward, and he, he yeah. was half comedic relief, half the MacGuffin. Yeah, yeah. So, no real reason for him to be there, mm-hmm. or no real background motivation from him. I suppose was very inconsistent. Right. After Neelix, my next least favorite character is Chakotay. And Kate, how did you feel about him and his representation? So, like, as a character, fine. Uh-huh. As the whole situation with trying to uh, make him a indigenous person, it, like... I would like for them to have more of that representation of, of indigenous representation, but it felt like they just did it wrong. You know? Mm-hmm. It was mm-hmm. very strangely done. They, yeah. Yeah, have, having someone who I think is of Mexican heritage play him, I, I think these days you'd probably have more conversation around it. Yeah, definitely. Because has historically always been the way that anyone can play anything um but i think it's it's almost too on the nose having him be the leader of this maquis group because the maquis are themselves people who are being displaced and are fighting back against it (laughs) it's like okay we get the like metaphor analogy you're going here for for here guys yeah yeah and i'm like i was rather young in 1994 but even at that time, I knew that you did not refer to the people who of indigenous North America uh, as Indians. You just did not do that. And they did it a lot okay, in this well, episode. There's cultural difference in this, Kate, because... Okay, and if any of our listeners um, know more about this, please feel free to write in. But it's my understanding that it's very Canadian not to refer to them as Indians, because here we use the preferred term First Nations or um, mm. uh, Indigenous people. Mm. Uh, but I think in a lot of places in America, it's still the accepted term, but I could be wrong. Um, more background on this, which I only know thanks to listening to podcasts like Women at Warp and uh, Métis in Space, is that they hired an advisor for this, mm-hmm. for, for Native American issues, whose name was um, Jamike or Yameke Highwater. I'm not sure how to say that. Um, who was born as Jackie Marks, who posed as somebody who was Native American, but was actually not 
Oh, <laughs> shit. <laughs> He's written books, which also have very stereotypical native tropes and stereo like in them one of his children's books even has won like a newberry award or something like that Mm -hmm. i didn't look up when he wrote that compared to when he was exposed in the news um but yeah there was even like a washington post article written about him in the 80s um basically saying like he's claiming to be of cherokee descent but no no like we like we can trace his history back he was born as jackie marks he was not as he claims to be like uh, somebody of who was born into the Cherokee, who was adopted out by, you know, like all these stories he made up basically. But again, this is like that pre-internet thing where like uh, the studio just didn't research him before they hired him. Like he'd already gained quite a name. He's, he started a, a foundation that got like government grants in the United States of like $800,000 over the years. And he became like an expert as like a Native American. And then this expose came out in the 80s. And then after that is when Star Trek hired him. That is and it's like, three fucking ridiculous. <sighs> Every <laughs> element of that is ridiculous. <laughs> like, I, I think he may have been the advisor on the really bad Native American next generation story with Wesley. Okay. Um as well but i haven't double checked that i I may be mistaken but i was so shocked like at the things that paris was saying to chakotay i was like oh that's bad yeah and so i was like well they said that i remember a mention of like an advisor and some criticism about it from actual um you know people who are part of different indigenous cultures throughout the the Americas. And so I looked it up for this show. I was like, okay, I gotta like figure this out because it was just Yeah. I don't okay, I'm getting super off topic here. But and uh I could be very wrong. What 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 do I know? I'm a random white person. But I can't imagine that indigenous people in America want to be called Native Americans. They're not Americans. That word came from some Italian dude. America. Yeah. That's why I don't like I, saying... I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they're, they're mm-hmm. fine with that and somebody can correct me, but... Yeah. I I like First Nations, what we say here, and so do the I, people who are First Nations here seem to like it, so I don't know. Yeah. And when I call him a Native American advisor, mm-hmm. that was his title. Oh, yeah. I wasn't calling you out. I'm just... I was okay. just okay. saying that I don't... That's why I didn't use it. I don't... I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's... Mm-hmm. I would like to learn more on this. I should probably take the time to learn more on this. Mm-hmm. Sorry. I'm, I'm I'm just flabbergasted that he pretended to do this thing. <laughs> they hired him. This is not the only case. Wrong. Yeah. yeah. This is not the only case I've yeah. heard like this, where a basically white person pretends that they have roots yeah. or are part of... Mm. Like, yeah. A, a First Nations community and get, makes a lot of money on being uh, either like an author, you know, bringing that community to the white person, you know, that type of thing, like writing books about First Nation cultures for white people, and they make a lot of money on that, and then it comes out that, oh, they were never First Nations. So, happens a lot, and is bullshit. Yeah, quirky. So. So I was feeling better hearing they had an advisor. (laughs) No, I'm feeling worse, (laughs) because it's always Star Trek. (laughs) Things that yeah, happen yes. are always associated with Star Trek somewhere. 
Yeah, yeah, when you started that story, I was like, oh, they had an advisor. Great. And then I was like, oh, shit. They <laughs> 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 super got it wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and like it was, you know, back in the 90s. So like there were newspaper articles written about him, but it, it's not as damning as it is now when stuff like this comes out about a person, right? Like the newspaper articles come out, they pass, not everybody's read them. You know, it takes us a lot of work to really research and dig up a 10-year-old newspaper article on someone mm. who is still sort of, you know, actively portraying himself as an expert. But on the other hand, like... I can't imagine, because they hired him before, presumably, for Next Gen, you said. Uh, he, they may have. Okay. I, I seem to remember that being referenced in... Um, either Women at Warp or Métis in Space, but I might be confused. Um, I just, I can't imagine that somebody didn't write them about that. You know? Yeah. And then the white people just ignored the criticism from the people of, you know, the community they were representing. Yeah. Which, yeah. <sighs> I don't know. That, that scene, as much as I liked that scene for... Uh, like the payoff between those two characters, I did not like the conversation they had. Yeah, like it was good banter, mm -hmm. but also not good in many ways. And then it just did the thing of, <gasps> they got off the stairs just as it collapsed. <gasps> so lucky, I was really worried about them. They were in the credits, they're fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. See, the the two actors have good like banter, like you say, but I also feel like they almost are like manufacturing conflict where there didn't need to be conflict between them. Mm. Maybe because the, I don't, I don't know. I mean, the actors sold it, but I was like, okay, so we have the conflicts between the Starfleet and Paris, and then we have to have the conflict between the Maquis and Paris too, because we need lots of people not liking each other. We need... But I don't know. I mean, that all sets up Paris as a, a good, interesting future character. Potentially mm -hmm. no one likes him, only Harry. Mm -hmm. And he has to sort of find his way in a ship where he doesn't really fit. Is that all the characters? Have we gone through everyone? It's everyone I can think of. I did find in reading up on it that there's one background Maquis dude who is in like half the episodes of Voyager and in the finale as well. I, I don't think I'd ever recognized him, but apparently he's the only other actor who's in like both the premiere and the finale. Oh. What on him? Interesting. <laughs> I guess it's like the other dude on the ship. Because there's yeah. three of them, right? Because... <laughs> There's more. Yeah, there, there's oh, like I thought there was only the three 20 of them. Twenty or thirty or something. No, <laughs> it's a huge group of them. We only met the two. Oh. Well, okay. Weird. And like the one who was on the bridge when I don't know her name. What's her face was missing. When Torres. Yeah. Yes. Like mm. when Janeway calls them and is like, "Are you missing someone?" And then uh, Captain Dude looks over at somebody. And then it's like, yes, we are missing one. <laughs> right. <laughs> it does look like he's counting there. Yeah. Show of hands. Like, there's this me, there's this guy, yeah. there's, oh. Bueller. Bueller. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I guess I just assumed it was just the three of them. 
the two we could see and the one that was missing. Yeah. I think they just ran out of money to make anything other than like that little tiny cockpit on the Maquis mm-hmm. ship <laughs> and the exterior. That's it. Yeah, I think they half inched. Um, well, I mean, they, they stole the idea of the Maquis from DS9. They, the, DS9 had a, a two-parter just mm-hmm. before this about the Maquis, which was written to introduce them for Voyager. But I think they uh-huh. sort of stole like some of the old sets they'd used for things to move them over here. And then because this started just after Next Gen, they repurposed some of the Next Generation sets. It's quite possible. There's lots of that stuff going on. You could definitely see the areas in which they spent a lot of money on the thing. And then there was a couple scenes with the special effects where I was like, ooh, they just ran out of money for that. (laughs) I don't know. I did like when um, Paris and Neelix just decided to taser the ceiling and then it collapsed in on them and everybody was like, oh shit, rocks. I'm like, maybe you could have thought about that one a little bit. <laughs> and the rocks that fell were a different color than the interior yeah. rocks. <laughs> I was like, okay. Uh, yeah. Painting would have taken too long. Yeah, clearly. I mean, they were probably styrofoam anyway, so I'm... They would. I don't know why they wouldn't have painted them better. <laughs> They've been phasered. Yeah, it reacts with the chemical oh. in the rock, and, and, and means there we go that th- 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 it does something. Right, <laughs> it changed color. Yeah. I, actually, the, that's fair. The, the things that they licensed, they stole the stuff from DS Nine. Um, mm-hmm. The character of Paris, the chap who plays him, had been in an episode of Next Generation, where. He and Wesley are kind of futuristic Starfleet Academy versions of the Red Arrows, and one of the pilots dies, and he covers it up, and he gets uncovered, and he gets sent to prison. And it's basically the same character, but I've read two things that one person said they had to change the character because what he did in the Next Generation episode was unforgivable, and you weren't allowed to redeem him. And I've read another one that says, no, it was licensing, we'd have to pay that writer if we kept that character. I, th- I, oh, I think okay. I believe the second one more. I th- it's probably a bit of both. Yeah. Yeah, I remember, because I remembered the Next Gen episode when this came mm. out, and it was like, oh, they're almost making him identical mm. to that guy, but not. And especially <laughs> like, being the same actor. It's like, why is this not the same? Yeah, they must have meant to. Yeah. And yeah. then just found that it was too difficult or something. Or mm. licensing, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm not a licensing expert, but I don't really see why Star Trek would have to pay money to Star Trek to use Star Trek things, but whatever. I, I think it is payments to the writer of that original episode. Because oh. the, the Mackie episode, there's a note about the people who created Voyager ended up credited as writers on the Mackie episode of DS9, even though they didn't write it, but just to make sure there weren't licensing issues elsewhere. I guess I would have assumed that whoever, like whatever studio, is it CBS that owns Star Trek or whatever, would be like like Disney. Like, you write it, but we own it, you know? I have no idea. Mm, tell I don't really know how, how that works. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's probably but, a residuals thing. Um, mm-hmm, yeah. And, and yeah, talking networks, this was the thing that launched a new network. So they, they Paramount had wanted to launch their own network in the 70s with a new Star Trek it didn't happen and they launched a film series instead but this was the first series that was like the flagship of UPN 
oh, which I think ev- eventually then got Buffy as well. I think yeah, that was the network Buffy went to. Yeah. Yeah. I think as a replacement for Voyager to go alongside uh, Enterprise. Oh. I don't really think of Buffy and Enterprise as... I guess it might, might have appealed to the same people. When did yeah, Voyager... I, I watched them, yeah. <laughs> yeah. When did Voyager end? 2002, um, I think. Yeah, I think it was the 2001, 2002... That it was its seventh season? So that's just after UPN got Buffy. Okay. Because Buffy would have gotten it for the 2000-2001 season. Wait, uh, maybe I'm wrong. 2002-2001-2002. They would have gotten it for the 2001-2002 season. So about the same time. Okay, same time and then, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. Because, yeah, and this finished and then Enterprise started a, a couple of months later. Was it that close together? Mm-hmm. Okay. So Voyager had okay. a period of being the only Star Trek and then Enterprise was the only Star Trek. And then after like 18 years or something, there was no Star Trek on. Yeah, I remember that being a big deal when Enterprise ended. Mm. Mm-hmm. But 94, 95, this was a good period. You had three yes. series, arguably, within a year. You had a movie. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. I am happy for the Star Trek fans of the 90s. <laughs> um... Outside of the characters, the the premiere sets up a lot of ideas. This thing about them being thrown across the galaxy and merging mm-hmm. the the, the, um, the the two crews. Caitlin, did you did any of that stand out to you? What they were setting up? But do you have any thoughts on what you are going to see when you watch the rest of it? Yeah, I liked how they set up the being thrown across the galaxy thing. Although, because Star Trek is Star Trek, I have no concept of what is like too far for them to get home. So it took me a while to pick up on that. You know what I mean? Because I was like, mm. they were all 70,000 light years. I'm like, what does that mean in Star Trek terms? I do not know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but as soon as it sort of started going towards that, I picked up on it pretty quick. And I was like, okay, that's a pretty interesting idea for, you know, for a show. Them being stuck out there and stuck with each other and away from their families. They did a really good job of setting everyone up as having families back home hmm. that they all wanted to get. And it felt, at the time, it felt, it didn't feel like they were setting that up. Like they had Janeway saying goodbye to her boyfriend or, and her dog. And, oh, they, and her dog is going to have puppies without her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they oh. had, they mentioned her speaking to Harry's mom and they talked a lot about Paris's dad. And when she was reunited with Tupac, I'm only ever going to call him that. <laughs> um, she talked about how she had just been talking to his family and how they missed him. And they just did a really good job of putting all that in and then being like, well, we're stuck out here now. So I liked that. The two crews thing, eh, whatever. Oh, really? <laughs> you don't think there's going to be any tension? Because or I, only, I thought there was only three of them. I thought there was only the three of them, right? So I was like... That's fine. Why are they even giving them any sort of consideration? There's three. That's <laughs> <laughs> interesting, yeah, because it doesn't come across that there's more yeah. of them. That there's actually a large crew. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we see them mostly like in the ensuing episodes. They start getting into like the conflict of trying to mesh the two groups together. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> that, they... that that is the uh, no. I'm I'm being 
flippant. That's the lazy thing to say about Voyager, that they don't do that very well. They do it well enough, but it is not the most interesting conflict anyway. So, yeah. The, the fact that this is, a, yeah, going back to the original Star Trek of, like, it's a completely unexplored part of space. We're going to meet these new aliens, new people we've never met before. That's the interesting stuff, yep. yeah. I do, like, I understand budget and time period and all those things, but, like, 70,000 light years away... Everybody still looks human. It bugs me so much. <laughs> the caretaker didn't. Yeah, I was going to say, he ended up not being Sure. Human. Like, the underground folks looked precisely human. Like, not, not unhuman at all. And do they really only live for <laughs> nine years? That sucks for Kess. <laughs> yep, she's already three. She's lived a third of her life. I'm sorry, people that lifetime so. span wouldn't look human. <laughs> whatever, whatever, it's fine. <laughs> Logically, I understand outside of the TV show, there's reasons this has to be like this. But I can't, I hate it. I hate it. Yeah. And uh, speaking of the caretaker and stuff, Kate, you asked me last time when I was like, I think that you're going to really like this one the best. Mm hmm. And you were like, is it going to have a godlike alien judging all of humanity? And I was like, not exactly. I was in my notes, literally, when they, like, entered the weird farmhouse bullshit thing. I don't know what that was. Um, but I think I wrote down, oh, good, the judging is about to begin. <laughs> Well, see, it didn't judge humanity. It just also really didn't care about them at all and, like, whimsically whisked them across the galaxy for its own, you know, purposes. And it didn't care that it was basically genetically experimenting with them, causing some of them to die. By trying to procreate with them. We could get into a very yeah. serious conversation that I'm actually going to leave behind here about what he actually did to them. But that just seems yeah. really freaking disturbing. Uh-huh. And they do just kind of gloss over that. Yeah. Entirely. I will say I did write down about him, about how he just... And I find this happens with a lot of those types of characters. Like, he just talked in riddles. Like, why wouldn't he just speak plainly? Tell them what he needed. Maybe yeah. they could have helped. Mm. Like, there was no reason for him to not just outright say what he was trying to do. Mm. If they'd written it in such a way that he's like, he considers them children and he can't explain it to them maybe yeah. but it, it just does not come across yeah and the the, the farmhouse sequence is the most star trek of star trek things like oh we have a new show we have to have some sort of magical mystical place they go for God, so you've got so the weird. the the judgment sequence you've got all the stuff in with the prophets taking them elsewhere so we have to have something like that on voyager and it has to be some weird i'm not even sure what part of america that's supposed to be the South, mm. quote unquote. Oh yeah, but it's like <laughs> <laughs> it's just the most stereotypical South. Yeah, yeah. If any of our American listeners recognize that as home, yeah. If you if you recognize <laughs> that accent, the lady. Had. <laughs> oh, it was so bad. It was so bad. I mean, is yeah, it just I mean, this is Kansas? I don't think they sound that southern in Kansas. Like, maybe it was supposed to be like 1800s Georgia. 
Like, I don't know, man. It's weird. It's weird. Yeah. But at least he made the very flirtatious one. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Random pretty girl. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it did make me want some corn on the cob. I'm not going to lie. I, it, it's been like half the summer and I haven't had any corn on the cob yet. So I was like, ooh, corn on the cob. I think that's it. Uh, I mean, the only other... Th- well, okay, no, actually, the same sort of question, but to Jen, for, for you've watched some of it, but not all of it. Was there any of this mm-hmm. that you watched? You're like, oh, yeah, I can't wait to see that or that's going to be interesting or I can't remember if there's an episode about that. Oh, well, I was looking forward to rewatching it because I had the rough outlines of them being like whisked across by like a all powerful alien and getting stuck out there. I couldn't quite remember how the conflict had come out and I had completely forgotten the Kazon (laughs) entirely. (laughs) Like I was like, right. And Kess is there and then something happens and big blank spot and had completely forgotten their role in it entirely. Um, yeah. Yeah, so the, the, the promise of it is, like, they get whisked across and we're going to meet new aliens and it's going to be different species and we're not just going to have Klingons and Romulans and Cardassians. Uh, and so the race that they make enemies are kind of Klingon light. They're not even, there's nothing to them. Like, the Cardassians <laughs> are vaguely interesting because they're quite sinister and... Q and Klingons mm-hmm. and Ferengi were all quite interesting because they had aspects to them. The Kazon are just uh, scavengy dudes. I didn't even understand. Like, when we met them on the planet, they just lived in this tiny little outpost. But then suddenly they had giant ships? Yeah. I was like, wait, what? I didn't... I, I did not get that when we met them. I didn't... They didn't seem like a ship-having... Right. You know, like, they they didn't right. seem like they had that technology. They didn't seem like they were off-world, perhaps. They were just, like... Yeah, so... I, I think it would have been more realistic to have, like, a diverse group of people as part of, like, a different uh, federation, for lack of a better word, um, there in that role so Kazon could be one part of it but they could have had like mixed alien species there mm. who are extracting elements and because you never really get a sense of the Kazon culture from my recollection they're just you know they have ships that can blow up Voyager they have evil intentions to take all the resources they yeah uh. Or, like, instead of Kazon being a race of people, have it be, like, an organization. Right, yeah. Just called Kazon, and it's just, you know, the stragglers from this part of the galaxy all banded together to survive. That would have made more sense. Especially, and had some good conflict, because, like, you come into a new place and immediately make enemies with the people who run that place. Mm. Right. Also, why didn't, like, they blew up the array, but couldn't blow up the Kazon ship like I that bit made no sense to me I, I think the array is possible to be blown up oh no no they fire at it don't they it's not they're blowing yeah, up they the fire, inside tricobal devices they fire like <laughs> explosive things at it and I know all the terms obviously you know, it's great <laughs> tricobalt sure and then but but they were they were about to like be 
phasered to death by the other dudes. I'm like, why didn't you fire those things at them? Then you could have kept the array and used it to get home. And okay, well, then we wouldn't have had a show. But I guess that's the answer. <laughs> Never I mind. I think there are too many ships coming. Like, it's one, like, yes, they could fire at them one at a time, but like, you have two friendly vessels, Voyager and the Maki ship. But I think they had like multiple Kazon ships firing on them from multiple directions, and they were simply outnumbered. I guess. I just, I felt like the Federation ship had better technology than them. Or, like, they were definitely set up to be the better technological mm, ship. When they absolutely. first started firing at each other, the Voyager crew didn't even seem worried. You know, they were just like, whatever, shields are holding, we're fine. But then suddenly, the battle turned really quickly, and they didn't really do anything about it. And it, it just didn't all seem to match up, I suppose. Because they needed an excuse for them to blow up the array so they wouldn't be able to get home. Yeah, and an excuse to get rid of the Maquis ship. Yeah. Do, do you both agree with her choice to blow up the array? Mm. I don't know. Uh, Tupac <laughs> had a really good idea there, like a really good point. You know, when what he was, was like, point? he was like it's... prime directive. We get out of here and we leave, we leave these people to their thing. It's not our place to interfere. Right. Which is exactly what would have happened had they not blown up the array, so... Yeah. Or, like, had they not been brought across, they wouldn't have blown it up. And, like, they sympathize with the underground people, but, like, they're the ones who sort of made enemies with the Kazon. You know, the Kazon never really did anything to them before they made enemies with them. So I don't see why they would have chosen one side over the other. Mm-hmm. Jane would just seem to flip on it really fast. Um, where it was like, we have to get home. We have to do this thing. We have to now blow up the array. <laughs> I was like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> so, um, but it seems like they had no other like option. Because I don't think the Kazon were going to back down. Yeah, they talked about more ships on the way, so... It's not like they could wait. Yeah. yeah. And they have no one to help. Like, the Starfleet has no one to help. It's clear that the Ocampa do not have resources off-planet to help. Um, I so. agree with all that, but why were they... Why was she concerned about the Ocampa over the Kazon? Like, there was no reason to choose one or the other. Mm, the Kazon were the, were the aggressors. I was going to say, their treatment of Kess... And they're referring to her as like yeah yeah okay okay that's fair I I just I really agreed with with um Tubok's point about prime directive <laughs> we're not in charge of these people mm hmm yeah I I did like Captain Janeway like trying to point out to the caretaker that like you know you can't take care of them forever perhaps if you had just yeah like not made them so wholly dependent on you this crisis wouldn't have come to this sad conclusion mm. yeah i'd be interested to know what he was doing that killed their atmosphere presumably we never get to know mm -hmm. oh in this episode mm -hmm. yeah mm. 
Um, what, one more thing that I did hear about this that I thought you might quite enjoy is, um, so obviously Kate Mulgrew got this part really quickly and suddenly was doing 18 hour days every day, never seeing her family again. So when UPN did a, uh, like a big premiere of this episode and they got everyone along to watch it, she took her children. She wanted them to see, this is what mum is doing. I'm really proud of it and I'm good at it. And she wanted them to see. And as soon as it went dark, apparently they they took the straws out of their drinks and started trying to blow split spitballs at the screen. Um, and they couldn't hit the screen, but she knew that like all the other actors could see what was going on. And she tried to tell them off about it. Again, it's a story from her uh, autobiography, but she tries to tell them off about it. But they're actually feeling really triumphant because they are angry at Star Trek for taking her away. And that's their rebellion against it. That's kind of cute. Hmm. Because they're not my children, so it doesn't yeah. really affect me. <laughs> <laughs> you can sort of understand it, like yeah. Um, but it, presumably, it gave them a very nice life for a couple of years there. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, I hope th- I hope it's true. I hope it- I hope that happened, and I <laughs> hope all the other actors were like Captain's kids. Man, they're crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Being an, a TV actor is one of those professions that I just don't know how you can be like working those kinds of hours and actually be a decent parent mm. like it's so hard because what your kids primarily need is your time yeah either the phys- yeah the, is- the physical need of supporting them or the emotional need as they grow up so mm. yeah so i i you know actors who do manage to to balance that some ways and foster good relationships with their children they do an amazing job and uh i have so much respect for them doing two extremely hard jobs yeah i i I don't think she was married at this time um but again one of the one of the stories when she uh got the script and had to learn them for that second audition she paid her housekeeper to take the kids to the cinema and then for pizza so she could learn the script so I, I suspect right. there were a few, good few years of doing that again and again. Yep, I could, I can totally imagine that. Well, if she if she got the part, I assume she hired a like a full time nanny type of person. You assume so? You hope so. Just <laughs> eighteen hour yeah. days. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Depends on the age of the kids. That's true. But, and also, I presume since they mostly film on set, they didn't have a lot of night shoots, so. Mm. Or at okay. least not specifically yeah. overnight. If you're 18 hour days, mm-hmm. obviously it goes late. You know what I'm saying. Yeah, absolutely. Just wanted to share before we wrap up that we did get uh, quite a few people. Oh, yeah, on Twitter. Uh, sending us some thoughts on Twitter. Um, scrolling back, I think it was Mandy who first responded you said her name so uh, strangely is... there mandy <laughs> sorry <laughs> not man c or man e mandy. <laughs> mandy um so it's at mandy k on twitter um who was of course matthew's co-host on pop culturally deprived and voyager is also her favorite she says tng was my gateway into star trek but captain janeway is always going to be my captain um and I'm sure, like many people, she had thoughts on the ending of the series. But if we ever get more into Voyager, we will get there eventually. Yeah, because that ending. Oof. 
Shush. That I, whole last season, that's going to uh, divide opinion. Oh. I know that Star Trek Discovery will eventually end, hopefully after a long run, and uh, they really have to uh, pull, like, because the last two endings of Star Trek series have been awful. <laughs> They've been divisive at best, so... <laughs> Yes. And it's, it's hard because The Next Generation, I think I said earlier, All Good Things is one of the greatest oh. series finale of any show. So, yeah. Yes. yes. Is that, and, is that and Next Gen? Mm. That's Next no. Gen. I think I've heard good and things about it, yeah. Deep Space Nine, I thought, ended well as oh, well. That's fine. <laughs> um, like, it wasn't as good as Next Gen. Um, but anyways... Uh, Voyager and Enterprise ended with yeah a lot of, a lot of divisiveness about those mm-hmm. endings. Um, we had at Gypsy Book Nerd tweet to us this morning as well that has been so long since she watched the premiere when it first aired. She thought it was interesting. One of the things she remembers is Janeway springing Paris from the penal colony. Also, he is blonde and boring. <laughs> <laughs> That's, you know, when I first saw him, that's pretty much what I thought. Like, great. A snarky, blonde, white dude. I wanted another one of those in my life. But I actually, I actually kind of liked him by the end. Yeah, he does feel a bit like a Riker clone. Like, it seems like they're trying to just, like, make slight twists Jen, to the Riker had that have brown worked. hair. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and as far as I know, Tom Paris never grows a beard. Well, until he stopped being Tom Paris, because he now, I think, has a beard. But, uh, yeah. And uh, let's see who else. And then at Zinkstoat tweeted, uh, one of my favorite aspects of Voyager is the way they'll science their way out of a fix. Tilly would have fit right in, I think. Female crew get sensible uniforms, too, albeit with questionably practical heels. And he continues, the ensemble in the pilot didn't really get to be the crew they became become later on for reasons that will become apparent and he thinks it would benefit from further investigation with potentially mandy k as an excellent guest since i was tweeting at her i was gonna she got very passionate yeah. about the Voyager i was things. gonna say now that we've had matthew on we we need to have mandy on to complete the circle because <laughs> the two of us have been on their show and now we've had matthew here so now we have to have mandy on just to complete the circle and then presumably restart <laughs> at, at some point i need to come over with go. Catherine to record an across the arrowverse episode yeah. in vancouver <laughs> so yeah. like on yes. that street where all the action happens <laughs> yeah that's right an on location podcast yeah. recording that would be awesome so yeah and i think that's the main comments we got from twitter um, yeah, it's an interesting point about the science because because that is one of the the good things about Voyager is it got really into let's explore and discover interesting things. Um, mm-hmm. And and even from this first episode, you can tell the captain's background mm. is like that engineering science background. Um, like later on, you come to realize in the Next Generation that Picard's background was as a pilot. He was an exceptional academy mm. pilot, but. Captain Janeway, right away, you can see, like, she gets the science of everything, you know. And sorry, Matthew, I totally cut you off there. No, no, exactly (laughs) that point. All the captains come across really well. Like, Kirk was clearly a kind of 
security ops type. <laughs> Picard was clearly, yeah. you know, hands on, <laughs> but doing the flying, doing the um, running the, the con, as it were. Cisco mm-hmm. doing ops, actually looking after the starship. And then Janeway is 100% a science officer. And it's great. And it, it's interesting for it as well, because they get to go and explore random stuff. Yeah. So I was just uh, taking a look at Tom Paris's, whatever the actor's name is, sorry, Wikipedia here. And he is apparently a very prolific director. Mm. He's, yes. He's directed some of Enterprise. Yeah. Has he discovered done Discovery yet? Not Discovery. He did an episode of the Orville. Okay. Discovery's yeah. enemy. They... <laughs> in one of his recent interviews, they asked him if he was thinking about directing Discovery mm-hmm. or something like that. And and uh, he was like, well, they're really trying to get diverse people behind the scenes mm-hmm. there. And that's great. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Maybe they can get... Um, that's not his exact... That's not an exact quote, but that was the basic gist of it. Not that he's opposed to it, but mm. like, no, they haven't talked to him because like, I'm a white dude. Like, um, but the actress who plays Bellana Torres also does directing now. And uh, so the article that I read the interview in was like, you know, maybe she will come over and do some directing That'd be work. nice. Yeah, she did quite a bit of Enterprise as well. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I will say, I looked him up originally because I wanted to see what he looked like. Because you mentioned about him having a mm-hmm. beard now. And it is so strange how in the show, when you look at him... He looks nineties, but you know, you know what I mean. But like when you look at pictures from now, it's just like a dude. I'm sure at the time you looked at him and it was just like, oh, he's just a person. But I don't know. It's just weird how people look like their time period. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the, there was a comment. So one of the things was about the change to some of the characters in the midway, uh, the season three, season four change. And there was a thing mm-hmm. about they were considering getting rid of Harry Kim, but then Garrett Wang got listed as one of the 50 most beautiful people in the world. <laughs> no, I'm, you know, I'm fairly comfortable with myself. Yeah. I would say if I could see it, I can't see that. <laughs> he he has floppy 90s hair right now. You think if he but went at serious. at the time, that was okay. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was all the thing. He's got like Devin Sawa hair. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, he does. At, at the time, I was very much into the beta male, so like I could see that. My tastes have shifted okay. now. Now you're all and alpha so male, I'm, ripped dudes. Well, no, <laughs> no, not like that. No, he's just coming across as much more flat this time around. So it is too bad that they hired a Taiwanese actor to play a Korean character, but <laughs> I mean, all uh, Asian people are the same, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, Star Trek. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I like him. He's great, but you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. I mean, ne- next generation had an English dude who played a French dude. <laughs> what assholes? <laughs> How could they? <laughs> Okay, um, I'm just being silly now, yeah. aren't I? Sorry. Yeah, yes. <laughs> it's interesting the things they change. Like, they reshoot, like, all whole bunch of scenes because they don't like a woman's hairstyle. And then a guy's background, like, couldn't get slightly rewritten. Yeah. 
because they hired a particular actor. And it's not like, aside from his name being Kim and, a, you know, that being a Korean surname, yeah. that was like, that's as far as I know for the import of his background on the show. <laughs> so just yeah. interesting the things that they will change and not change to. Uh, yeah, they literally uh, could have named him Harry Wong and mm. would have been exactly the same in this episode. I, I don't know if they go into his background more later. But. I feel like that was the same with uh, Keiko O'Brien. I think it was a Chinese actress portraying the Japanese lady. Mm. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's the case too. It's not like we're lacking in <laughs> Korean and Japanese people here in North America. No. So I don't, I don't understand. Oh, Star Trek. Yeah. I mean, yeah. 90s TV in general, but. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, yeah. I was going to say also, oh, North American whitewashing <laughs> yeah, right. and like, you know, the. It's not just Star Trek. It happens in a yes. lot of Hollywood. They're so. thinking that all of Asia is one country. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess we should move on to recommendations. Yes. Okay. So, Kate, do you have a recommendation this I week? I do. And my recommendation this week is to anybody who lives in an area where, like, you get summer, but it's not, it's not hot enough that people build houses with central air. Just spend the money and get yourself an air conditioner that you put in the window or whatever. It's the best $400 I ever spent in my entire life. I love this machine more than any human being I've ever met. <laughs> it keeps me happy. I can be under my blankets at night. I'm under a blanket right now and I'm not dying. And I love, I mean, I've had to turn my air conditioner off for recording and it's getting kind of warm in here, which... Jen and Matthew, you guys are nice, but I like my air conditioner better. We're going to have to go soon. But okay. I love it so much. I named it The Beast because it's giant. <laughs> That's my recommendation. Just spend the money. You'll be so much happier. <laughs> so for those of us who get like only two weeks of sun a year, mm -hmm. it's probably not that worthwhile. <laughs> mm, I mean, it we lasts for years, but yeah. 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 <laughs> I have to say, you have to the, store it though, and like the last time I was in England was in a July. Well, it was the last week of July and first week of August, mm. and it was the best summer experience of my life. We came, <laughs> we we took the train over from Paris, and Paris was unbelievably hot, Ooh, and I hated yeah. Paris. Ooh, that probably contributed yeah. to it. But as soon as we got to England, it was gray and raining, and I was like, oh, it feels like home. It was so great. <laughs> and then we went camping um, down near Bristol. No, Brighton. And <laughs> that's not an England problem. I don't remember names of anything. It's only 200 miles. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. I went I went south instead of north or north instead. Of, I don't know, whatever. Um, anyways, and during the day, it would be like 30 degrees and I wanted to die. But at night, it would be under five degrees. And we would freeze to death. And I was like, this is perfect time. Right in my sleeping bag. Everything's fine. Next. Okay. I will recommend a podcast that I recently started listening to. It does not have a lot of episodes. Um, but it's... Well, actually, I'm going to cheat and recommend two different podcasts. You're a dirty, dirty cheater. Um, I am. Uh, one of the things I wanted to do when we were doing our Wonder Woman episode is read certain Wonder Woman comics that had been recommended. And one of them was 
Wonder Woman Rebirth, and I ended up reading the first two volumes of that. And there is a podcast called Superhero University, and it's by Joshua Unruh, who also co-hosts a podcast with Lonnie Diane Rich called Listen Up A-Holes. And I actually said it right this time, which is good. Um, talking about Marvel Comics on Listen Up A-Holes, and Josh did an a mini-series of podcasts all about the origin story in um, the Wonder Woman Rebirth, uh, Volume 2, Year 1, as it's called. And he calls himself a superhero scholar, and he really is. He knows so much about comics, both all the various storylines, uh, the character histories, the production histories. He is entertaining to listen to. Um, if you're a comic book noob or you just want to know more about Wonder Woman, I highly recommend checking it out. Um, even if you haven't necessarily read the comics, I think you would might find it enlightening just to hear some of the um, different storylines and hearing him discuss it and uh, respond to some of the comments that his listeners are making. His podcast came out before Wonder Woman the movie. Or, like, no, it came out concurrently to Wonder Woman the movie, because they talk about the events of the movie. Um, so, yeah, I really enjoyed listening to it after finally watching Wonder Woman and reading the Wonder Woman comics. And I recommend you check that out. And also listen up A-Holes to listen to a whole bunch of discussion of the Marvel Cinematic Universe as well. Cool, cool. Do you have a recommendation, Matthew? Uh, I can come up with one if you want me to. You don't have to if oh. you. This is um, if we because we did forget to warn you about this <laughs> I, section. I assumed it was the two of, one you. of our guests. Uh, yeah. I'll tell you what I recommend that <laughs> might be of interest to your listeners: um, a podcast called Imaginary Worlds. Uh, so, if anyone listens to Ninety Nine Percent Invisible, it's a podcast about design and design stories and interesting things that happen around the world. Imaginary Worlds is that, but for science fiction and fantasy. So they do interesting things about writers or they did a whole series about magic and different types of magic and how you write that type of magic in your story. They do things about alien races. He's done a number of episodes on Star Trek um, and different ideas about the races and the planets and the ideas behind Star Trek. It's good fun. It's a really interesting thing. It's 20, 30 minutes each episode. Um, just an interesting deep dive on one topic to do with sci-fi and fantasy. I'm going to add that to my podcast app right now because otherwise I'm going to forget and that yeah, sounds right. good and ob obviously go and I recommend all my podcasts which are amazing <laughs> unsubscribe to everything yes. else you subscribe to only you know come on <laughs> <laughs> I just listened to, I just recommended the MCU podcast but yes if you're a DC fan you have to check out Matthew's Across the Arrowverse where they talk about all the DC TV shows that are running right now um, yeah, so then, uh, which are now on hiatus, so, so we're now like, okay, let's watch Constantine, let's watch the old Flash, let's watch. We just watch DC content nonstop <laughs> and talk about it. It's great fun. <laughs> that does sound fun, and you do nice. that one with uh, your wife, right? I do. Yeah, that's what happened. Yeah. Which my my best man talked about in the wedding speech. Nice. <laughs> he said, you know, it's amazing they can spend half an hour talking in a in a room each week and not fall out. Perhaps that's good editing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's great. Um, yeah. I, I, my favorite of your podcast, Pop Culturally Deprived, geez. Um, <laughs> I just, I love the way that you and Mandy talk about movies, 
And I like the dynamic. Like, that's my favorite dynamic in a sort of discussion podcast when somebody is sort of an expert and somebody's coming to something new, which is also the dynamic we have here, um, mm. obviously. <laughs> but mm -hmm. I really like that. I think it makes good discussion. And I like that I can just be like, ah, today I want to hear about this movie. And, like, I don't feel the need to listen to every single episode beginning to end. Like, like in order. You know what I mean? Mm. Oh, that's right. very kind of you. Thank you. Right, oh, you I really like it. It's gotten me through many hours at work. <laughs> yeah, we, we've got some quite fun ones coming up. Uh, so The Dark Crystal came out today, which was yeah. very silly because it's a very dull film at times. Um, we got Looper next week. So you guys covered that a while back. We've yeah. then got uh, Star Trek The Motion Picture, but then we're going through The Godfather Part 2, Top Gun, The Perks of Being a Wallflower, Much Ado About Nothing, Hackers, Flatliners. So we're doing like the full breadth of random films of different types. <laughs> That's what I, I yeah. love about it, That some because sometimes I'm in the mood to, you know, for this one and... Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? I, I don't know how else yeah. to describe it. Sometimes I just <laughs> am done with a podcast if there are only one subject but yours because you switch around and you don't like stick to one type of movie or anything. I find that there's mm. always something I'm in the mood to listen yeah. to. I appreciate it as well. Cause sometimes there's a movie I haven't seen as well. I know you're all shocked. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> listening to you guys discuss it sort of, um, can give me a little feel of like, Oh, that sounds really interesting. I do want to watch that or yep. That's not the movie for me. I can just <laughs> listen to you guys chat about it and then cross it off my list of having to watch. Uh, okay. Which, which one does that apply to? Um, well, there's been a few. I had that, uh, but with the Leonard Nimoy documentary. Oh, really? I liked okay. your episode, but I was um, like, mm, never watching that. Okay. Uh, Dumb and Dumber was the mm. most recent one that was like that, but also like the Heathers, um, and like some of those other movies from those eighties times. I was like, no, I could just listen to hear them talk about it, and now I know sort of like what happens and its cultural significance, and I don't have to watch it. That's great. Done. Uh, well, Top Gun in a couple of weeks. That, that'll be the one. I'm excited for that. <laughs> I've seen Top Gun. <laughs> Anyways, let's wrap things up. We've been talking yeah. for a while. Yes. So recommendation, yes. listen to me. I've talked over these two yeah. enough. Come listen to me talk to other women <laughs> and over them enough. <laughs> yeah, that's that's okay. the experience that I had on their show. It was terrible. Matthew never lets you say anything. <laughs> okay. okay. Let's actually wrap up. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions or comments you would like to share about this or any of the other uh, Star Trek or other random movies or films that we've seen, you can contact us. We have email at a command of her own at gmail.com. We are on Twitter. You can add us at command of her own. And we have an Instagram account, instagram.com slash a command of her own. And where can people find Matthew? Yes. Uh, so I also live in Surrey, um, so you can find me there. No, um, I'm on Twitter, at Matthew Vose. You can find the, the uh, podcast network, Eloquent Gushing, anywhere. So at Eloquent Gushing, slash Eloquent Gushing, dot com, slash Eloquent Gushing. You can find it. Guys, thank you so much for having me. It's been really nice. I got to talk Star Trek. Thank you. You were great. <laughs> I, I had a lot of fun. Yes, thank you for coming here. Yeah. 
And I guess we'll see everybody next week. (laughs) Yeah. Bye. (laughs) Bye.